From the time that humans have wandered the earth, we have always gathered ourselves together into tribes. Your tribe tells you who you are. It tells you what you believe. It tells you what your responsibilities are. Your tribe will also tell you who you are not and who you should fear. Now, it is a wonderful thing to have a community that gives us identity. I strongly believe in that. But all communities become tribal when they get afraid. And when they're afraid, they're worried about the mythical them, they, who are to blame for our problems. Look out for them, the tribe keeps telling us. They're trying to take something away from you. They're not like you. They don't understand you. They're only going to hurt you. Be very, very afraid of them. Anytime that I lecture on preaching, I tell my students that it's never hard to make people afraid in the congregation. Just start talking about them. And the congregation will turn into shivering chihuahuas with bulging eyes. Who, you're right, I knew somebody was responsible for my problems, it's them. And it's not hard to point to them. Worry about them. Worry about the Republicans. Worry about the Democrats. Worry about the gays. Worry about the fundamentalists. Worry about the Arabs. Or worry about the Jews. Worry about anybody who's not like you. Be very, very afraid. In spite of Jesus' very clear teaching to the contrary, the church has often acted tribal. We've been doing this from the beginning. Jesus told his disciples to take this gospel into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria as his witnesses, people who see God's incredible love that goes to the ends of the earth God's love for them. But the church, in the first several chapters of Acts, just didn't make it any further than Jerusalem. And the church got bigger and bigger, and they were thinking, this is fantastic. Look at all this growth we have down here in downtown First Church, Jerusalem. <laughs> but nobody was thinking about them until one of the deacons is stoned, Stephen. And then persecution does what motivation does not do, and it, it spreads the church out. So another deacon named Philip leaves town, and he finds himself in Samaria. Now, the Samaritans were distant cousins of the Jews, as you know. They, they were very distant, though. Uh, they didn't worship the same place where the Jews worshiped. They didn't read all of the Hebrew Bible. They intermarried, and therefore their religion was very syncretistic, and the Jews didn't care too much for their very, very distant cousins, Samaritans. In fact, they wouldn't even go into Samaria. If anyone was going from Jerusalem up to Galilee, you would always go around Samaria. It's like they had a beltway that went around the whole thing. And nobody got off the wrong exit. You just stay on the beltway to your past Samaria. But that's where Philip goes, to hide out from the Jewish authorities. And if you're 
worried about being found by the high priest and his council, what better place to hide out than with Samaritans? Because they're not going to go there. And while he's there, Philip decides he'll do a little preaching. And perhaps to his surprise, so many Samaritans became believers in Jesus Christ. And they said to Philip, what do we do? And he started baptizing them, and they joined the church. Samaritans in the church. And as Philip was trying to figure out how he was going to explain this to the church board back in Jerusalem, the Spirit suddenly sends him off on another mission trip. Now he's on the road that goes south from Jerusalem down into Gaza, and he's just waiting by the road waiting by the road for his next calling. Man, that's, a, that's another whole sermon right there. <laughs> I'm standing by the road waiting for my calling. An Ethiopian eunuch starts to approach in a chariot. We're not given the Ethiopian's name, which is fascinating. We're only allowed to see him the way Philip saw him by categories. He's a foreigner. He's black. He's a eunuch, not even close to being Israeli. He's powerful. He's the secretary of the treasury in Ethiopia. He's a man of extraordinary means. He's sitting in the chariot while someone else drives him. This is not an ordinary guy. And so Philip has to try to get his head around all these categories when the Spirit says, go to him. It's almost, you almost want to put the words right after it says, go to him, dummy, go, go talk to him. So Philip goes to him and he's reading Isaiah. And Philip says, do you know, do you understand, do you get what you're reading? And, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, how could I unless somebody teaches me? So Philip hops up into the chariot and he starts to explain the text. And what an incredible text for a eunuch to be reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? I bet the eunuch read that text over and over and over again. According to Deuteronomy 23, eunuchs weren't allowed in the holy assembly. Now this man has ridden in a chariot all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. These, these were not close. He went all the way there to worship. He wasn't allowed in to the Holy Assembly. Maybe he made it as far as the court of Gentiles. We don't, we don't know. But he's stuck outside of the Holy Assembly. Imagine going to church one morning and somebody says, there's something wrong with you. You're one of them. You can stay in the narthex, the court of Gentiles out there. And so you're so desperate for any good news, you, you put up with this. And as, as people are leaving, you, you say to them, what, what, what happened today? What, what was the music like? What was the anthem like? Uh, the, what did the preacher talk about? Did, did the preacher, did she, she say anything about despair or 
depression or divorce or did she say anything about my broken heart? And then when the service is over, you just get in your car and you go on away. But you didn't deserve to be in church. Here's the reality. We're all this Ethiopian eunuch. No one who's paying attention to their own lives or to the law of God ever thinks that they can walk through those doors and sit in a pew because they deserve to be here. We've all broken the law. We are all outsiders by rights, by rights. This is why I always grin a little bit when someone comes to my office to talk about something they want and they, and they say, look, I, I just want what I deserve around here. And I, I always want to say, oh no. <laughs> the, the last thing you want is what you deserve. <laughs> Trust me on that. What you want is what you need. You need the same thing we all need, which is the extraordinary, amazing grace of God. As the Ethiopian and the deacon, Philip, continue to talk, I imagine Philip explaining this text to him by saying, you know, come to think of it, Jesus has no posterity either. He knows, he knows what you feel. He is the God who is with you, who understands exactly what you have gone through. He is your savior with you. And the Ethiopian becomes so excited about this. He, he says, well, then what, what's preventing me from being baptized? There's water right here. And Philip, who apparently likes baptizing people, says nothing, let's pull the chariot over, let's, let's go to the water. And they enter the water as two very separate people with very different categories, separated by us and them. But they come out of the baptismal waters as brothers in Christ, all a part of one family. In Jesus Christ, God is literally dying to create a new family. A family that's made up of you and us and them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.